0: Okay, before we get going, I should just let you know that you're gonna hear the odd F word here and there. It's only ever used as a means of emphasis and it's part of how I speak. This series is brought to you with the support of the LSE and this episode by the letter I for interventions. We've all been there, a friend is stuck in a rut, just going through the motions and it's time for a change. That's when you say, I think it's time for an intervention. Now, not the type you see on TV reality shows, but they are just as impactful. Interventions are all about getting a fresh perspective and jumpstarting your happiness engine. They give you the tools, support and encouragement you need to break out of a rut and return to a strut. We'll look at a few well-researched interventions that can transform the way you feel, starting with building resilience. Resilience can be a useful intervention for increasing happiness. It refers to coping with stress and adversity, helping us bounce back from difficult experiences. Building resilience can help us handle challenges and stressors more effectively and maintain a positive outlook, even in the face of difficulties. Resilience can reduce stress, anxiety and negative emotions. Now we all experience minor daily frustrations and stresses and most of us will experience a traumatic event once in a while, such as a loss of a loved one or a major illness. Being resilient doesn't mean you never encounter painful experiences or that they're not painful, but it just allows you to manage the pain and prevent the experience from turning into something more serious. Resilience helps us to accept the situation and to adapt to it by finding suitable coping strategies. The recommendations for building resilience include building strong social connections, maintaining supportive relationships, seeking social support and engaging in meaningful connections provide emotional support and encouragement. None of this is straightforward or easy, but we can use priming, defaults, commitments and norms to help make it easier. It's all in design power, not willpower. So we can remind ourselves with alerts on our phones to contact friends. We can arrange to meet them at set times each week. We can promise our networks that we will visit a friend and we can ensure that we contact those friends who make us feel better about ourselves. Again, willpower is weak, design power is strong. Now let's look at affect labeling. Keeping a daily affect journal which is basically how you feel has been shown to have significant benefits. Sometimes as simple as writing down what you're feeling or saying what you're feeling out loud can reduce stress. And it doesn't just help in the moment, but can also help into the longer term. Of course, you also have thoughts as well as feelings. Be aware of where your attention is going. Constantly thinking about one unwise decision or something wrong doesn't contribute to your happiness. Imagine messing up a presentation at work and then going on a romantic weekend with your partner the next day. Whilst you're away, all you keep thinking about was that presentation. How badly you did. In this situation, the attention on the lousy presentation stops you from paying attention to your partner. Try shifting your attention towards your partner and the interactions that make you feel good. Go for a walk, book yourself into a cookery class, do an activity together, find a guided tour. By designing your environment and changing what you're doing, you can change what you pay attention to. Building self-esteem also contributes to not ruminating about failures. There are several ways to build self-esteem. Buying a self-help book isn't one of them. Studies have shown that self-help books can be detrimental to people with low self-esteem, mainly because they focus your attention on what you're lacking, and are often written by the one in a million people who have gone from rags to riches. Instead, get support with a therapist or a friend and use a journal to challenge negative thoughts and beliefs and replace them with more constructive ones. Do things that make you feel good, wear things that make you feel good, and spend time with people that make you feel good. In this sense, you are designing environments that naturally improve your self-esteem without having to think too hard about it. Now you might not want to always be paying attention to what you're doing in the moment, sometimes mind-wandering can be good for us. The mindfulness movement has led us to believe that we shouldn't let our minds wander. And some academics have argued that all distractions from the present moment are bad for happiness. I've never been convinced by this. Those boring work meetings have been made bearable by staring out the window at times, right? We've investigated mind wanderings and discovered some interesting findings. And despite common beliefs associating mind-wandering with negativity, we found that it isn't always bad. The impact of thoughts depends on the people around you. When you're with a partner, letting your mind wander can be beneficial, but in a social setting, it can be detrimental. The activity you engage in can also affect the impact of mind wandering. For example, if the activity is purposeful, mind wandering worsens the experience. We've also found that thinking about your future self is positive, but thinking of the future generally is slightly negative. So thinking of your own future where you'd like to live, is better than just randomly thinking about someone else's future or the future of the planet, etc. As someone who bangs on about happiness by design, I guess I should have given more thought to how we can design specific mind wanderings. Maybe that's something we can work on together. I think we could all do with finding a little bit more time to relax. Relaxation can improve your physical and mental health. Have you ever had a day that's been filled with stress and the smallest things set you off? When we're more relaxed, we're more resilient to -to day-to-day stresses. It does seem obvious enough, but how many of us say we're just too busy to relax? Spend five minutes outside, focus on your breath, Lay on the sofa. All of these things can promote calmness. They can also stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and leave you feeling a lot calmer. We can all design our days and environments to make it easier to do the things that make us happier, to relax. Place plants around the house, listen to some music that you like listening to. Separate work from leisure. Go for a walk and remember get plenty of sleep. So what about meditation and mindfulness? Well, there's hundreds of research papers that have investigated the benefits of meditation. Although meditation is often mistakenly associated with simply sitting and feeling peaceful, it is a multifaceted practice that involves multiple disciplines. The ultimate aim of meditation is not to think of nothing and feel peaceful, but rather to experience reality as it is. The more mainstream method of meditation which involves focusing on the present moment through techniques such as breathwork or guided meditations, has been linked to numerous benefits. These include reduced rumination, less stress, increased focus, less emotional reactivity, and more cognitive flexibility. While silent meditation is generally considered a safe and beneficial practice for many people, there are some potential negative impacts that can occur, particularly for certain individuals or in specific circumstances. For example, Some people may experience negative psychological effects such as anxiety, depression, or even trauma if they engage in meditation practices that are too intense or that trigger unresolved trauma. Also, people with certain mental health conditions may need to approach silent meditation with some caution and may need guidance from a professional. And some of us, namely me, are the kind of people who like the formal structure of mindfulness training. So I would encourage you to find ways to meditate or be mindful without thinking about it. For example, you can be engrossed in painting or listening to music and really present in the moment. There isn't a label that's meditation and nor is it structured, but it's still a form of meditation. Acceptance. Research consistently demonstrates that self-acceptance is vital for happiness. Embracing oneself without judgment or self-criticism is associated with lower anxiety and depression levels, higher self-esteem and better coping skills. Self-acceptance fosters authentic relationships and resilience. Recognize and embrace the positive and negative aspects of yourself. Practice self-compassion and challenge unrealistic standards. No one is perfect and it's okay to acknowledge that we won't always be happy. Sometimes there's a sense of relief that comes from simply accepting our current situation and embracing the journey ahead one step at a time. Interventions are useful in helping us to be happier. In this episode, we've discussed a few ways that you can use interventions to increase pleasure and purpose in everyday life. To me, resilience is an important aspect of interventions, and resilient people are happier and can bounce back from difficult experiences better. Life is filled with many of these. Even a bad presentation can be debilitating for someone with low resilience. There are several other interventions that can improve your well being, including meditation and mindfulness. But really, it's about being present in the moment and not necessarily the formal structure that meditation and mindfulness conjure up. My ambition in creating Get Happier goes beyond simply offering a free copy and ending it there. I intend to foster a community of individuals who can make society happier using rigorous and relevant evidence, all with minimal effort. Subscribe to my Substack where I share resources and insights so that all of us can get happier.